If you would love to create a transformational and successful coaching business, but you don't know where to start or how to make this a full-time career, then my new certification program, Influential Coach, is for you. There is no other four-month live online mastermind like this. I'm going all in, guns blazing on this one with you to skyrocket your coaching career and personal brand online. You will learn the frameworks I personally use for rapid transformational coaching so you can support your clients to achieve their dreams no matter where they are in life. You will also learn how to authentically brand and market yourself as a coach so you can stand out from the rest and build a career of freedom and fulfillment. Spots are limited and this is an application only program. So if you're serious about finally committing to building a successful career in transformational coaching, then head over to imjoelbrown.com slash coach and apply today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm your host, Joel Brown, and I'm here today with Marcos Torres, my co-host, and we are hosting this here with an incredible award-winning actor, but also philosophical uh, powerful writer, speaker. Uh, you may have come across his book lately. I've seen it just pumped everywhere. He's doing a very good job at getting it out there. This book here is called Green Lights, and you may know who he is. His name is Matthew McConaughey. Matthew, thank you so much for jumping in today, mate. I'm really excited for us to dive deep into this book and also elements of your life that we may not have uh, come across yet uh, after reading cool. this book too. So. Let's do good it. to be here, Joe Marcos. Uh, good day to you, man. Happy New Year. Let's talk yes, about what we can do to build into a sustained great year and future for everybody, huh? There you go. Love That's it, it, man. Love it. Love That's it. it. You got the American flag back there, man. I like it. You're repping America. I know you guys have had a pretty turbulent time out there, and uh, there's a lot of this like information war going on. So I, I like the way that you observe culture and you see what's going down and and you make some good commentary. How are you feeling now after the elections and the inauguration? Um, a little more stable. You know, I mean, yeah. the, when, you, when you're coming out of chaos, which we were coming out of a chaotic year, the whole world was coming out of a chaotic year, America in particular, an election year with COVID, civil unrest, particularly uh, chaotic. And when you're coming out of chaos, I think the first thing you want to do is you, want to, you need to stabilize. And when you stabilize, then you organize. Once you organize, then you make your plan with how to act or react and respond. We're not even close to responding yet. We got, we're stable. This the inauguration should everyone stabilize. It should let some air out of the balloons. We're going to see. I'm, you know, we had the uh, the breach on the Capitol. So I'm sitting there going, oh, how do we avoid some type of civil war? Does it, you know, I'm, 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 it seems like there's a bunch of little campfires of some problems, but it seems like Biden's in now, Vice President Kamala's in. Okay, even the resistance on the, the, the far right that are even denying it seems that, okay, as, as of right now, things are pretty calm, which I'm happy about. And I, because I think it's time now, as I put out my IG yesterday, it's time to, well, let's, let's take a minute and let's trust. Let, let's trust here for a second. Everyone take a pause. Whether your guy won or lost, let's stop and trust here. And in the trust is where we start the stabilization. To so stabilize, now we can organize, come together and go, didn't vote for you or did vote for you or don't like your politics or do, but how we go forward with dealing with the circumstance, embrace the circumstance, embrace who our president is, embrace who our vice president is, whichever side of the aisle you're on, this is how we're moving forward. So let's see what we can collectively do together. Yeah, wonderful. I love That's that. That's brilliant, man. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm originally from the States. Uh, I live in Australia now, um, not too far from Joel, actually, in the same same city that he grew up in, uh, but originally from the States. And it's been insane just to be able to observe all of this taking place from outside, you know, from, outside, so from right? the outside. Yeah, from the outside looking in. And I agree with you, man. I'm kind of at a moment right now where I'm like, you know, the, the whole Civil War thing was bouncing around in my head too. like, well, what's going on here? Um, and I'm kind of at a moment now where I'm like, okay, let's, let's breathe a little and see how, how we can move forward, you know, redemptively and, and, and sort of rebuild some of this, um, yeah, some of these connections. Cause I, I was, I was a soldier too, for a few years. Um, and this was a long time ago. And, uh, you know, this was a time where you had people from all different types of persuasions on, on the political spectrum. And we got along really well. We were able to disagree and, and, and do it civilly. So it, it'd be yeah. really nice to see that, to see that come back for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we have to go. 
there's no there's no going back to the old way. Mm. There's no going back to an old normal. We That's have right. to understand yeah. what the, the an, an asset of the turbulence of the last year is that it exposed a lot of truth. It exposed yeah. some ugly truth. It's it exposed some scars that some people were like, "Oh, I had my that was always under my sleeve," you know. Yeah, now yeah, yeah, yeah. we had to roll up our yeah, sleeves yeah. and go, "Hey, where'd you get that tattoo? I didn't know." You know, it exposed <laughs> who was in what gang. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, like yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. and that inherently, I believe, is a good thing. Now, mm. how do we not? As we build out of this, not just go, okay, well, that 2020, that was just that year. And now let's just put a blanket over that, move on. Now, now we're back. Yeah, now we yeah, can go re-engage yeah. and go, no, 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 no. It yeah. exposed. People, yeah. politicians have had to declare, redefine and redeclare. What the hell is it you do? What's your purpose? What's going on? Because, you know, we don't have, we lost trust. We lost belief. We don't know. Talk about news you talked about earlier. I mean, what's novel now? What's the future of novelty of news? Facts. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> facts and truth. It's like, hey, and guess what? The added benefit of this news report is it's actually true. Woo! That's, uh, that's going to be rebellious in the future. As it is right now, that's a rebellious notion. <laughs> oh, I love that, man. I love that. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and what, what better time than now to have your book out as well so that people that have been experiencing this turbulence can now sit down and actually read something that's very grounding, but also uh, gets them really thinking about life. And I love this, man. The stories you share, okay. the insights in this book as well. If you haven't got it yet, make sure you pick up Green Lights. I also listened to your Audible version as well. And it was cool, man. I kind of felt like I was already hanging out with you before we jumped on the podcast anyway. But, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's awesome stuff. As you see in the book, man, I'm talking personal stuff. If, if, if I'm telling my story, but hopefully in a human enough way that the reader or whoever's listening to it can see themselves or, and have their own stories where they go, oh, okay, I'm going to take that into my own life. Or this happened to me in my own life and I reacted this way and it g gave me satisfaction. Or I reacted this way and it didn't give me satisfaction. You know, we're all on this rodeo together trying to get our eight seconds on the bull. And uh, it ain't easy, and obviously it ain't supposed to be. But if we can, you know, share some tools and learn some tools with which how to stay on the bull a little bit longer, you know, in this rodeo of life, that's a good thing, man. Let's let's make let's make those values an epidemic that we don't want a vaccine for, you know, instead of the one we got now. <laughs> now, Joel, I, I know you've got a question brewing there, but since we're sort of in the in the hey promote promote the book right now, I, let me let me jump in and say that this is yeah. this isn't just a good book. Like this is a great book, man. Um, I started reading this thing, and I was like, wow, I can't I can't stop, you know. And um, it's it's a it's a very vulnerable book. It's a very human book. I also found that it's deeply existential. So I'm, I'm reading through this and I'm like, this guy's like a, this is like a, you know, this is like a modern day Sartre right here. Like, <laughs> you know, this is, this is deep, you know, this is profound stuff. But then, and this is where I'm curious. I also read, I think it was a New York Times article that, uh, that this is a compilation of journal entries or, or things you've written all throughout the years, going back to, to when you were very young. And so it made me wonder, like, have you always been, um, a deep thinker like this, going all the way back, um, you know, to, to your early days, has, has this been part of Matthew's sort of journey so. and expression? Yeah, I, th I think so. And, I, and it wasn't put upon me. I didn't come up from a family of deep thinkers at all. Really? I came from a family who had great principles, but boy, not deep thinkers at all. Just actually, actually people who just take action and go, let's go find, we'll find out the consequences as we head into it. Um, we weren't big readers. I wasn't forced to read. I wasn't allowed to watch TV. I wasn't, my mom would rather have us play outside than read a book. I didn't grow up reading much. So I don't know where it came from, but yeah, I look back at the journals at 15 years old. I'm already naturally, for whatever reason, asking the why questions, you know, and the why is the doozy, you know, the, you get past the why you get into the more fun stuff is the who, what where and when you know what i mean that becomes a little more fun but the why is a doozy because it's just like boom it's out there what the hell am i doing here what am i supposed to do what's my relationship with the world what do i want to be who am i who have i been 
Who am I going to become? What's this all matter? Is it all a dream? How permanent is it? How impermanent is it? Does it matter if I'm uh, the, uh, a good man or a bad man? What does it really matter? Who am I doing it for? Who are we doing it for? Is it How personal is it? How altruistic is it? How selfish is it? How selfless is it? All those questions. I was leaning around and tooling with trying to figure out that 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 the that main question of the great riddle of life, the why, the existential question you bring up, that was inherently coming out of my nugget since I was 15. Wow. And I still wrestle with those. My, I've learned some things along the way. I think I've got more evolved questions, but I've still am in, in, in amazing, in, infinitely intri intrigued with the why of what are we doing here, man? What, what are we really doing here? What are we doing here as humans? What are we doing here as men? What are we doing here as fathers? What are we doing here as friends? What are we doing here as husbands? What are we, there's a fraternity of men question I have of what am I doing here as a man? Then there's the human question. What are we all doing here? You know, um, and, I, and I just find it infinitely interesting, even though I still have more questions than I had when I was 15. Um, you know, it, and then also, Writing the book and keeping the journals, I think, was me going, man, who else is more entertaining to investigate than ourselves? Mm. You know, uh, if, we, if, we, if we were all were a little more of a PI on ourselves, I think that'd be a good thing, you know, because who, who's the one person we're all stuck with? Who's the one person we can't get rid of even if we hate the company? Us. <laughs> so, <laughs> got to work. Awesome. Let's work it out, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know how it is. What am I going to forgive myself for? What am I going to let slide? And what stuff am I going to say? Uh-uh. Buck stops here. No more. I'm not putting up with that shit anymore. We all got that. those questions, you know what I mean? But they're good ones to work out because, like you say, man, you sleep. Whoever's in your bed, there's really one person you're always sleeping with no matter what. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah. Figure out a way to shake hands. Dope, <laughs> that is dope, man. That is dope. Look, I can relate a lot as well to your statement that you're, you're still, you, you've got more questions. I remember when I first went to... Uh, uh, study theology, I assumed that at the end of it, I'd come out with a lot of answers. But at the end of it, I just came out fully aware of how much I don't know. <laughs> so I was like, wow, you know, this is, but there's, there's something liberating in, in that as well, man. Um, just, just a quick right. follow-up question. Like, you, you, so you're 15, you're having these deep questions. Did you feel out of place? Were you the only one in your world who was, who was wrestling with this stuff? Like, did you have someone that you could, you could bounce ideas off of? Or, yeah, how'd you navigate that? Yeah, well, I had, I had a buddy, uh, Rob Bindler. So I was the in the student council, popular guy, athlete, win most handsome guy, okay? None of my people in that circle we're asking the questions that I was about, about existence, okay? That was all just like, hey, our, the, in that circle, our lives were a Saturday, an endless shoeless summer, right? Mm -hmm. But I had, I was also the guy who befriended the Betty Rice, the one gothic girl who everyone thought was the lesbian in the school that people picked on. I was the guy, the two fights I got in in high school were taken up for the nerd and the little, the the short black kid who everyone picked on. I was so I was always in those circles too, of on the underdogs and the outcasts. So I was I was cool with them too. But I was also could go straight from there over to student council and Mr. Lobo and most handsome and they all. So I was the popular guy, but I was also I liked going over to the the, the outcast as well. So I had a buddy uh, Bindler who I was the only quote unquote popular guy who took art class and I went and sat back in the back and he sat across from me and he was not in that group. So what he introduced me to was I would take him out on the proverbial Friday night to be with my friends, which was what? Everyone get together, get the keg on the back of the truck, let's party, dance, sneak a cigarette, try to chase girls, et cetera, et cetera. But then on Saturday night, what he introduced me to that I'd never done before was, hey, what if you come over and watch a movie? play ping pong, right? Wow. So we started trading off, right? So I started living both that life. Friday night, I'd take him out as the extrovert. And, and then Saturday night, I'd become the introvert and go in his world. And we'd talk about art. I didn't know about art. Talk to me about a book. He was writing a script. We'd watch a movie, talk about the movie, talk about life. What are we doing? What's the ticket here? What's a GED in high school gonna get us? Does it really matter? What's that? What does it matter? What's the game of life? If we go to college, does a college degree really get us what we want? 
asking those. So we were at, we were looking ahead. He was the first person that came with that. I had a friend that we could go. Let's project further out there about where we're going. And none of my other friends were thinking past this Friday. You know what I mean? So I did have a friend, but that that I that I got you know could bounce some of those back and forth and questions and at least someone that I could have a conversation with about that and then I had that year in Australia where I was on my own right out of high school where I almost imploded <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know and that was letters I wrote letters to him because I could have the existential conversation with him but most of those letters turned out to be letters to myself that I would return I'd write 15 16 page letters to me <laughs> And then write, and then write myself back. Oh, jeez, I was going insane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is awesome, man. This is awesome. Yeah, this is yeah. Matthew. You, you know, when I was reading your book, I was thinking to myself, man, I, I should start writing some letters. Then I realized it, it sunk in. Wait a minute, I am. I'm speaking that. So yep. much of what I've recorded over the last like ten years, if I was to compile that together and put it in a book. It's, it's like a body of that decade of work. And I was like, whoa, this yeah. is actually really interesting. Do you feel like with everything that you've written so far, do you feel like you could release at least three, four, five books? Did you have to cull quite a lot in the process? I, I, I did. I've still got, I'm going to say, I think that's the book that encapsulates in the truest and kind of most way of the last 50. Um, but I'm about to go back through this stack of diaries when I get a couple of weeks to see, I might find that, oh, I overlooked 70% of it. Um, I might go back and go, no, yeah, you went through it. You called through it. You, you're the, the, you know, there's four other great stories, but you told the best one in Greenlight. So those four stories are not new information. You don't want to put those in a book. So what's the new thing? But again, I might go in there and go, oh, there's actually, you know, there's a there's a book on trailer park stories. Oh, look at these characters you forgot to write down that you met, that you learned a lesson from, or you heard a great joke from, or saw a great bumper sticker from. I might find all that. I don't know. Um, I've got ideas of where... What I think, the, what, what the subject matter that I'm interested in now and have been for the last couple of years, that is new information. It's th that is a bit of a crystallization of ideas that I propose in green lights, a bit of an evolution of those. Um, uh, but I don't want to go, go recook the souffle. I don't want to come out with like green lights part two. You know what I mean? It's it's there are fun things to go. Well, let's investigate what are the, the value of a yellow light. That's where the art of living really is. What do we do at a yellow light? You slow down and you put the pedal to the metal. You give the crisis credit and say, I need to stop in my tracks because I need some introspection. I need to look back at that pothole I've been stepping in. Instead of hopping up and dusting myself off and being so resilient, it's time for me to give me a self, self-created self red light so I can look back at my past and quit stepping in the damn pothole so I can come around the bend next time and dance over it. Or is it time to come across that yellow light and go, hmm, I ain't giving that crisis credit. Put the pedal to the metal. Let's blow this, baby. Which we got to do that sometimes, you know? So sometimes we like to wallow. Some people love a yellow light. Oh, great. I get to stop and put myself in a red light and dwell in anguish or pain or crisis or hardship. And you people get addicted to that, you know? And it's like, no, 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 no. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> hang on. So there's the art of living. What do you do with the yellow light, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I got a bunch. Of, I, got, I got ideas, but. Man, I think I think this is a, this is a great time to um, to have you because I want to I want to keep doing going down this track. This is this is powerful stuff. Good time to to sort of unpack your heart a little bit. Like green lights, that's the title of the book. Um, but it's not just a catchy title. There's a really deep idea you're conveying here. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. So green lights um, on the road of life. We love green lights, man. They say go, proceed, more please. Atta boy, way to go. Freedom, yes, love them. We want them. Confident in green lights. It means the world wins at our back. Where we're going is open road. They're affirmations. Yellow lights slow us down, red lights make us stop. We don't like those son of a bitches. 
Because they interrupt our way, man. They go, what the hell? I was on my path. I was rolling here. What do you mean slow down? Or what do you mean I got to stop? We don't want them. But we find out that we needed them. We find out, I believe, in the rearview mirror life that every yellow and red light was actually a green light or at least had a green light asset via a lesson we were supposed to learn in them later in life. I would argue that the passing of my father, a major red light crisis, I would argue that this year of COVID, a major red light crisis, have green light assets that maybe we don't even realize yet. I've realized assets of my father passing. I would not be the man. I would not have bucked up and said, boy, it's time for you to man up, Matthew, because I didn't have the safety net of my father alive behind my back to catch me when I fell. Didn't have him physically there. I'm not denying. What I'm saying does not deny red lights. It does not deny the crisis, but it saying we find the assets in those crises. Sometimes we know them when we're in the crisis. Sometimes we don't know them until tomorrow, next week, next year, 10 years from now. I don't think some of them we're going to know until we're on our deathbed. I would even argue to say that we will not realize some of the some of the truths and lessons we lo- we're supposed to learn in our red and yellow lights in life won't be realized until our great, great, great grandkids four generations from now. You know what I mean? We're going to look back at 2020, I believe, as a tragic year always, yes, but I believe we could look at it as a banner year where we had to, we, we were forced to restart. We were forced to press reset. We were forced to reevaluate who we are and what life's about and what are we doing in it? What do we damn, what do we care about? So that's what Greenlights is, a, is, a, is about. That was the theme that came out of it. We can engineer green lights in our life by choices we make. You build something how we are as friends, how we are to ourselves sacrifices we make, risk we take, we engineer them, meaning we, we're teeing ourselves up for success in the future. As simple as put your damn coffee and your coffee filter in the coffee maker the night before so you can get up in the morning groggy and just press the damn button. That's a green light. You teed yourself up for success and ease. You were kind and cool to your future self. In a very basic way that, but you, you think of decisions we make that are going to be like, well, how am I going to feel about that 10 years from now? How is this decision going to not create more stress in my life in the future? Well, I'm not going to lie, cheat, and steal because actually it will be more selfish not to lie, cheat, and steal because if I don't, then I can move freely into the world without having to look over my shoulder going, oh, shit, is Joel and Marcos there? Because they're going to jump me if they see me. So now if I, if I lie, cheat, and steal from you, I move forward in the future with a debit. I've created stress. I've created a yellow light in my future. Right? Because I cannot move freely. I cannot be present in time because I got to look over my shoulder to go, well, I hope they're not in the same room. See what I mean? So what was actually the more selfish choice? To lie, cheat, and steal and get mine right now and move forward with burned bridges where I got to look over my shoulder because I left crumbs? Or to not so I can move freely and run into whoever I want and go, yeah, yes, I've not screwed this person over. <laughs> I've not, you know what I mean? I would argue that the not screwing someone over. The not lying cheating is a more selfish choice um, than the doing so. So we can engineer green lights. Mm. Sometimes they fall on our lap. We just damn get lucky. There ain't no there ain't no reason to it. It's just rhyme. And you go like, well, I'm going to take this and run with it because I don't know why I got this good fortune, but I'm going to double down and make something of it. Mm. Um, so, and then, as I said earlier, that the red and yellows actually do turn green later on sometime, if we can trust that. Yeah. 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 If we were to, let's say, hypothetically speaking, we fast forward a thousand years into the future. Yeah. And your book, there was like one copy left, but it was fragmented. You know, the world had gone through some, you know, chaotic times, uh, which yeah. I'm sure it's some apocalyptic. It's <laughs> <laughs> inevitable. Okay. And, and, and someone comes across a chapter of your book, call it the fraction of the gospel of Matthew McConaughey, which one would you like, if you had a choice, like for them to be able to find to then carry on that legacy? Whoa. Um, find your frequency. Ooh. You know, because I'm not, my, my book and what I'm, what I'm writing about, I'm not saying be more like me. I'm not saying I got figured out. I'm saying each one of us have the opportunity to figure our own out. And then that's good time to investigate. That's hard work. That's a good sweat to break. As I said earlier, who's one person we should be most 
entertained to be investigating, who's always going to be hopefully interesting, who we who we love the most and who we hate sometimes, man, whose company we want to be able to keep but don't always enjoy it at all, ourselves. Yeah. We can be a, I can be a better friend. I can be a better lover. I can be, if I'm respecting me, I can respect you more. If I'm trusting me, I can trust you more. So if we're post-apocalyptic, I'm saying find your frequency because you're probably going there's no radio tower here that everyone's tuning into, so I gotta, I gotta find, I gotta create my own music, my own frequency with my relationship, whoever that person, one person is walking the planet. Find the frequency in a barren world. You gotta find a frequency, even if there's no reverb and sound and music. Find, find a frequency. You know, you hear people come out of solitary confinement. You hear people come out of Auschwitz with like, how did they maintain? They had hope, but they had more than just vacant hope. They, they, they worked on something each day. They found something in that solitude. What do you do when there's no one to talk to or no one to listen or nothing to look forward to? Man, how do you not go plumb crazy and lose it? Hmm. It's very difficult, but you're, gonna, you're forced to start a Socratic dialogue. So what's that dialogue? What's that reciprocation? How do you keep that alive? How does that evolving when you may be absolutely stationary and the world's adrift and there's nothing to look forward to and it's barren, it's apocalyptic. Well, the new frontier's up here. It ain't out there. It's up here. And when this and this have a little bit more alignment, that frontier starts to see have a little more light in it. But I think that would be the other thing because if you're stuck all along, that's the frontier. <laughs> that's, yeah, if, yeah. if the world's bleak out there, remember you got this frontier and you own that frontier. That's that's mm-hmm. kind of that's what a lot of what I'm trying to say in the book is remember that yeah. you own that frontier. It's yours, man. So mm-hmm. watch who you let trespass on it. That's deep. That is awesome. <laughs> I just um yeah yeah I want to I want to comment on that because I think there's yeah there's something really profound there. I just I just wanted to yeah there was just, just a statement that you just made that reminded me of um. Victor Frankl's book, uh, "Man's Search for Meaning," right. meaning. Um, as yeah. you know, as as a as a uh, survivor of um, of the Holocaust, I believe it was Auschwitz in, in the cow where where he was. Um, he just had this really interesting insight where he said that what he noticed in his time there as a psychiatrist was that those who tended to give up the thing that differentiated those who tended to give up from those who were able to endure and then thrive after was um, the capacity to find meaning in the suffering. Right. And so there was, and, and this is a frontier thing. As you talk about, this is a, this is, this is a, a Socratic dialogue where mm-hmm. you're looking at this scenario that is just so ridiculously unjust and makes absolutely no sense, but somehow able to, to find a new horizon from that, you know? So I, yeah, what right. you were just saying just reminded me of that because I suppose, you know, we may not all go through trauma that large, but that is such a deep part, such a key to living and not only to living, but to living yeah. well. Because I think that's what you're calling us to, Matthew. You're saying, don't just live, live well, you know, and, right. and, and well, this. Or live, live, live as true as possible, you know, live yeah. true as possible. Um, and knowing that there's no arrival point. You don't get to a spot and go, oh, ta-da, I got yeah, it. Yeah. Lickety split. We want that because we're such a result-oriented mechanism, and the world tells us to get a result. But shit, man. You, you ever arrived at something where you go like, oh, I got it, and it actually sustained, and for the rest of your life, you're like, I know, I, I still got it. Yeah. It's like, no, you get to the top of whatever that mountain is. You achieve it. You get there, and you like look over the edge. You're like, oh, I got a long way to go. There's a lot more questions. I like to say this, you know, with, uh, you know, the old fable of Icarus flying too close to the sun. Oh, come on down. Here. Wax is going to melt on your wings. Yeah. Okay, I buy that. But I'd lean into, say, let's check in with the idea of, like, Emerson, the oversoul, you know, more, which is like, usually when we think it's getting hot and it's, we're too close to the sun and it's melting our wings, dude, it's still like... It's still snow on the ground. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's not even, it's not even, it ain't even warm. It's like, who do you think you are thinking that, that you're close to the sun? You ain't even close. You're just tapping into the 11th percent. You got 89% left to go, youngster. You know what I mean? So I think when I bring up in the, in the, in the, in the book, a roof is a man-made thing. We, the ceilings we put on ourselves and our expectations of ourselves, those are man-made. Those are arrogant man-made things that we put on ourselves. 
And so somebody hears me say something like that and they go, no, what's arrogant is you thinking it's ruthless. No, she, no, I, I, it's arrogant to say, well, that's as much as I can do. And that's as much as I can expect of you. And that's as much as you should expect of me. And that's as much as we can have success. That's as much as we can be happy. That's as, as valuable as life can get. That's as good as a relationship can be. Bullshit. Who are we to say that? Yeah. Who are we, yeah. where do we go? Who, that's the arrogant thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, what do you do? The, the suffering. You don't, I'd say this one, a very simple man, sense of humor. Yeah. You know, you yeah. talked about, you, you went to theology school, you came out of it with more questions. Another thing is you see the most spiritual people in the world usually have an incredible sense of humor. Mm. Dalai Lama laughs at everything. He thinks everything's hilarious. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so when you laugh in the face of tragedy or you laugh in an argument or you laugh in a crisis, people think that's almost sometimes distasteful. But what it does is it can unlock the contradiction and, un- and actually help you get over through a crisis. Two people highly disagree on something, political, religious, whatever. Laughter can unlock that. And help them find the paradox in the two. Where, But we have a tendency to go, well, if you laugh at that, that means you're not giving the crisis credit, right? It means you're like saying there's not a problem. You're being insensitive. Well, no, 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 you're not. I'm still, we're giving the crisis more credit. So since it's inevitable that it's a crisis, relatively speaking, let's have a giggle here as we're going to this because I don't know how the hell we're going to get out of it. You know what I mean? It unlocks <laughs> some humanity. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're in an interesting uh, culture right now. Everyone, it's very PC at the moment. I, I totally get that. You know, Matt, one of the excerpts from your book, I'm just going to drop in on this because like, it was so deep and profound. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. I love that you went there. You said, God, when I cross the truth, give me the awareness to receive it, the consciousness to recognize it, the presence to personalize it, the patience to preserve it, and the courage to live it. Yeah. What's your view of the character of God just in your life experiences so far? I don't have an entity. It has no, I don't have a shape in mind. Growing up Christian, I can see Jesus Christ as a person. I could picture an Abraham. But of God, I don't have a, I don't have a, a, a he, she, it. Mm. Sort of form of it. When I'm feeling most connected with God, I'm seeing, I have much longer view, meaning uh, of the impermanent. And and I say this in the book, and this helps explain it, I think, of that place when we go, oh, (laughs) I don't really matter. It's all for nothing. That's the place where we go, oh, that's why everything matters. So, when I pop up into God's eye or the Google eye of the sky and you look down at earth and I'm feeling times when I'm feeling, you know, myopic and I'm feeling like I'm the center of the world or maybe that maybe I'm succeeding so much that I'm feeling too arrogant. Like, oh, my gosh, I've really I'm really on the frequency. I've really have a direct line, you know, or times of failure where we're like, oh, my gosh, this is only happening to me. Those times we really feel like the world's around us and it's revolving around us. I've tried to pop out into the God's eye and look down and I see this little planet that's in the middle of this galaxy, that's in the middle of these, this universe, that there's many universes and this little planet's turning and I zoom in on the, one of the continents and say I'm in Austin, Texas and I go into North America down in this place called Texas and there's this little dot in this city that's 1.6 million people and I'm the little dot in that city in this globe that's turning and it's been turning for millions of years and it's probably going to keep turning for millions of more years. And shit's gone down before, and shit's going to go on before, and I'm going to hear, I don't know, let's just say if I'm here 100, that'd be cool. (laughs) None of this matters. None of it matters. So right there in that absolute humility of, oh, shit, it's okay, man, none of this matters. You just tap it into the 11th percent, maybe. You know, you got a long way to go. It ain't hot. Your wax ain't melting. (laughs) It ain't even close to hot, buddy. Don't be so arrogant to think so. When I sit there and go, oh, none of it, it doesn't, you don't matter. It doesn't matter. You either then go to that, what is it, that, 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 that view that, oh, well, then F it, anarchy, chaos, none of it matters. We're life's pain. This sucks. So it doesn't matter. Or you go, oh, well, then cool. It all matters. So let's really make shit count. Let's really 
put value and 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 take and be generous in ways that 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 we create more things to be thankful for and when we're more thankful for more things we get more responsibility for the more things because those things we give them more value and we want to caretake those things those relationships in our life kids wives children friends and when we take more responsibility for those things that we value we get freedom because it has the right kind of form now it's it's got a long-term view it's going man i don't know if we're lit if there's life after this one I don't know. I often believe and hope, at least, that there is, but I don't know. None of us know. That's the point. So I feel closest to God when I'm not contradicting these things. Science, faith, heaven, hell, culture, technology, selfishness, selflessness. When I'm not contradicting these things, I'm going, oh, no, that's the dance, man. Those Mm. two work together so i don't have the answer i don't know i don't have a conclusion science is the practical pursuit of god and guess what it ain't gonna ever prove god which also leads me to a place where the, the thought approach to life which makes me feel closer to god again going back to we never have that aha moment we ain't ever getting there we're all chasing yet and if we can get in our minds that life's a verb and we're in this process of it on this bull and this rodeo we were talking about, and that's as good as it gets, then all of a sudden we play the game better. Mm. We ride the bull better. But if we're like, no, I gotta gotta get to my eight seconds. I gotta get to where I can plant my flag and go, aha, I got to the top of the mountain. I've got it figured out. Or I succeeded in it. You don't, you don't get there. Mm. And so my belief is that if we could just do a little, life shouldn't be, I don't believe life is flatlined. You know, Emerson said, hey, whatever happened then has happened before, it's all flat. I don't believe that. I want to believe there's a small ascension that we can personally take and be a little bit better and have a little evolution, right? You've done how many years of shows? You said you've been in 10 years of shows. You've evolved over 10 years. You've, con- you've, you've got a conglomerate of all these shows. You've been writing your book through your spoken word. Well, if you hadn't evolved, what the hell the last 10 years for? If we haven't <laughs> evolved, what the hell's? Are you, how can you be a parent? Because you know more than your kids. You had more experience. There's there's value to that. No, it's not equal and flat. You know? So there, I, I believe there is a small ascension and a ramp in life where we can grow and be a little, improve a little bit, be a little bit more true to ourselves. If we just realize that, oh, we, that we don't get to the destination. <laughs> we, we don't get there. You know what I mean? And, if, and that life is, is, is impermanent. And there's a freedom that can come with the understanding of it's impermanence, I guess is what I'm saying. And if you don't believe, that's fine. I'm talking to atheists, everybody. It's like, okay, so what's the alternative, bro? (laughs) If you just want to, if you don't have the argument for, well, then just let's look at the argument against. So you want to just say, oh, it's all for naught. F it. I don't care how I treat you. I don't care how I treat me. Whatever. F the world. It's all for nothing. You want to do that? Are you glutton for punishment? Jeez, I don't know. If, if it's all, if it, even if the whole thing's a joke, this thing we're living called life. Well, get on with the laughing then. I mean, what's the the alternative? Sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, I don't believe we're just dancing with our DNA. There's got to be meaning, meaning to our life, right? Mm. It'll be something. I, I, I hope so. And again, <laughs> if there's not, what's what's more? Does this go to let's go to pleasure principle? What's more fun? Mm. <laughs> Yeah. See, it's more fun to seek and even place meaning, even if it's all a dream. Hmm. Go still go place meaning, find meaning, create meaning, help, call it. Okay, so look, you want to say life's fiction? We thought we would give it some nonfiction to the fiction then. <laughs> you know, there's there's something there's something you're capturing there that's like really core to your book, which I really appreciated as well from from a theological perspective, because one of the one of the deep themes i'm capturing as i'm reading through it is that i guess the, i guess the best way for me to articulate it is to go back to some of the um sort of critiques of christianity that you find in in marx and nietzsche Th- this idea that believers like they kind of take their responsibility to to do something meaningful in this world and they abdicate that responsibility in the name of the big guys in charge 
or the pie in the sky, you know? Right. And one of the things I find in your book is as you're wrestling with God, you're saying, and there's actually one section where you're, where you're I don't remember exactly how it's worded, where, where you're basically saying um, something along the lines of, um, you know, God, please don't let me be one of these people who just says, hey, you're in charge of it all. So let me just sit right. back, you know, like the fatalism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I find that Joel and I have talked about this a few times as well, this uh, concept of God wanting to co-create with us, that we, we don't just sit back and just sort of let fate play itself out. There is, there is, a, there is a reciprocative relationship. We're, we're involved in this thing. We're, we're painting this canvas together. Talk to us a little bit about that, because I just found that to be a really, well, really profound I, idea. I, I, I hear you, man. I mean, look, you look back from right now. This moment in time right now, we look back at our lives, the dots connect. But along the way, getting here, millions of things happen that we're like, how that, I don't even know, how'd this end up? Was that a coincidence? What is a coincidence? How did, I don't know how, what does this mean? And you look back from this moment back, it all adds up. There's a science to it. You see how the dots connect. But going forward, it's a mystery. Now, so it's that game, that that creative partnership, I think you're talking about as well, fun, funnily put, because what well, does come first? Yeah, I believe in fate. Call it karma, things like that. But when we go, oh, so I can take my hands off the wheel, mm-hmm. inshallah, God willing, it can it can become a crutch that I don't believe, and I don't know. I don't believe God's like, there you go. You gave it all to me. I think God's going, no, put your damn hands on the wheel. You're driving. All right. You are responsible. You can make choices. And if you don't think so, okay, go run all the red lights you want. See how, see how well that turns out. <laughs> Just go <laughs> run them off. Richard, he doesn't want it. us to be fools. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? That's right. That's and right. Yeah. now you go to the other side, you know, into the, 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 the Nietzsche side. He's going, it's all self-determination. And I write about the book. I have I had many times in my life. I had a couple of year run where I was like, I need more self-determination. I'm tired of going, all right, I forgive you for that, Matthew. But hey, because I know God forgives me. I forgive you for that. Because I was becoming a repeat offender. I was like, well, I don't, why every Sunday am I going and asking forgiveness for the same damn thing I keep repeat offending and letting myself off the hook? <laughs> like, what's going on, bro? Your reciprocity, you're, just, you're, doing this, you're running in circles. So I was like, mm. I'm tired of putting up with that stuff. Mm. So I called my, started calling myself out on stuff and going, no, buck stops here. No, no, I'm not. No, you do not get a free pass on this, McConaughey. Uh-uh. Put your chin strap on, buddy. This is about to get bloody. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and then also some things where I had to go, well, you can, maybe you do need to forgive yourself for that thing. Let yourself slide. You're human. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're Because there's actually arrogance in certain amounts of guilt, too. Oh, yeah. That's those people that like to dwell on the red light. There's an arrogance to the guilt that we can put on. And, 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 it's, and it's like, again, like the roof is a man-made thing. Who the hell are we to think that we are the sole and final judge and jury of, our, our, of what we consider ourselves to have done well or what we feel guilty about for not, for not pulling off? That's an arrogant concept. I think we need some of it. I think we need our ego to keep ourselves in check. I think we need our Jiminy Cricket conscious on our shoulder that's God has a direct line to who's whispering in our ear going, oh, you know, that, that that's probably not going to have good residuals, that choice. That, that choice you're about to make right there is not going to give you any mailbox money. Not going to be much ROI in that choice. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> and we're look, yeah, all yeah. looking for the return on our investment. Yeah. Us. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's both. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, and again, who's leading? I don't know. Are we, you know, are we, my pastor has a great theory about uh, restoration order that you know the uncaused cause there was the big bang well what caused that his opinion would be that was God so now restoration order that it was in the world was in order and then there was chaos there was the big bang. everything went black and chaos. and we are here to restore mm. order that's our opportunity to restore order in the chaos which I, I like that view because it gives us purpose. It gives us existential purpose. It gives us immediate purpose in different relationships. It gives me purpose in the way I treat my child if he comes knocks on the door and interrupts our conversation. It just it gives us something to grab a hold of and me, talk about meaning. 
you know, on a very existential level. And it's an exciting thing because talk about never getting to the end, knowing that we ain't ever going to get full order. That's the point. There will never be total order. That's the point. But can we get, can we restore a little bit more? Can we leave this life having a little more restored than when we came into this life? I think we can. I hope so. Yeah. I love it, man. Awesome. So Matthew, your book, obviously we can get it on Amazon, you know, you get it on Kindle, get it on Audible. It's out there. Is there any other projects or anything you got going on that you'd love to, to share with us? Yeah. Um, I've been thinking a lot about, uh, you know, we're coming out of a time, a real year of chaos. And again, we were saying earlier, people don't know who to trust, they don't know who to believe in. You know, my country hopefully is stabilizing now. We just had our inauguration. It's legit. Hopefully we can trust that, even if people who didn't vote for him in office. So now we got to stabilize. And after stabilization, I think you organize and then you start to act and respond and move forward. So what are we what are those solid stepping stones that we can go forward? To? My hunch is that it's values. My hunch are that it's things like accountability, responsibility, sense of humor, taking intelligent risks, um, all kinds of those things that we can go. Let's rebind. How do we rebind our social contracts again? Because 30 percent of Americans trust their neighbor, their neighbor. One in three. That sounds horrible, doesn't it? But it says something. And that's not just in America. It's all over. It's like we, we've we been the private sector all the way down to the individual, I think, has more free reign. It's like the new – talk about new frontiers. We've seen that our leaders didn't have succinct answers, didn't have a consensus of a way to go forward. We see it all the time. So when we don't see that, we're forced to go, well, i got to be my own – the minister of my own culture. You know what I mean? So, but what can we find a common denominator, a sort of constitution, not mandated, but a constitution of sort of life's lyrics, values that we can all agree on as humans, as men, as friends, as citizens, as fathers, as husbands, as wives, as mothers, as sisters and brothers. Can we have reconstitute a list of values that we go, I'm in on that. I'll pledge. I'm in on that if you are. Can I expect that of you? And you go, yes, sir. And you ask me, can you expect that of me? And I go, yes, sir. And we go forward with a little bit of like, okay, I can trust in that, that he's not going to, that because we, we, we looked each other in the eye and shook hands, I'm just going to go ahead and trust that he's not going to pick my pocket. We don't have that right now. <laughs> we got to just, we got to get some basic sort of trust factors going again. And I think it's through values. Because values don't care who you voted for. Values don't care if you're a believer or not. They don't care what church you went to. Um, they allow for conversation without condemnation. They allow for two people to disagree but find, but agree on the values, the principles between them, even though technically they may not agree on what the issue is. Man, that at least gets us back in the game, gets us back in the conversation, gets us back in the understanding, oh, yeah, it, 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 now that I have more control and I'm giving myself more empowerment to be in control of myself, I actually understand that we're all in this together. Again, it's that we see that as a paradox, the ego versus the utilitarian. No, they're not. I believe there's a place based on values that we go, I can make a choice that's the best for me, and that choice is also can be the best for we. I can make a choice that's the best for the most amount of people, the best for we, that also happens to be the best choice for me. Again, I don't think those are contradictions. I don't know I don't know what that place is. I don't know how to define that, but I do believe there's a place because I've crossed the times where I've been able to make a selfless decision, which paid me back selfishly the most. I've been able to make selfish decisions. We all can make a selfish decision that we think maybe is only best for us, that we look up and we go, man, that was the best for the most amount of people too. Well, I was in the honey hole on that choice. Where was I? How was I seeing the world? You know what I mean? There's a place. It's a mystic, it's a, it's a mystic place, but there's a place that, that we can get much closer to that um, because we will be anarchy if we all just say it's all on me. I don't give a damn about the rest of the world. And it's also I don't believe in some kumbaya. Hey, we're all sitting around ho-hum utopia we talk about. We ain't getting there either. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're the trickiest mammals walking the planet. You know what I mean? The kumbayas have to realize and admit the evil that mankind actually can and does possess. 
we got to look that in the eye as well. But the other side, the 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 no, it's all for me, and I don't care. I'm only taking care of myself. I have to understand that. No, man. There's people can rehabilitate. People can improve. How do you know if you're doing right if you never did wrong? And I say in the world of if you do wrong, if you really are sincerely seeking retribution, you go, I bogeyed, man. My bad. I'm willing to work on it and try my best to never let that happen again. That you should get a second chance. Oh, shit, man. What? Come on. How do we grow? How do we evolve? So anyway, those are some things that I'm thinking about going forward. Now I'm working on what that is and in what way. Um, I've got plans to do it in my home city of Austin to put out a shared and competent values campaign. It's sort of an aspirational campaign that I hope can help bind the contracts of our expectations of each other in our city, across individuals, institutions, and families. And then boy, if that could become, if that could become epidemic, that's the kind you don't want a vaccine for. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's it. I like it. I like it. Matthew, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you jumping in today. Uh, powerful, powerful. I'm going to be listening back over this multiple times. Uh, if you're listening, make sure you take notes. You can go back, you can rewind, you can pause and get your hands on Matthew's books. Green Lights, it's an amazing book. All right, make sure you get it. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's create and catch some more of them. For ourselves and everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, Matthew, real quick. We always wrap up every interview with this one last quick question here. If you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? Ooh, the last 30 seconds? All right. See you later, gang. I don't know if this is the end of the road for me, but it looks like I'm leaving this station. Um, Yeah. Take a pause. Don't get nervous in the quiet like I just did. Take a pause. Look around. It's all for something, even when it looks like it's all for nothing. Hope never goes out of style. And love has teeth. And the truth burns. Hop on the bull. Get your eight seconds. Just keep living. Check you later. (laughs) 